Welcome everybody back to Veil of Sound. It's our wonderful interview Sunday and I'm very, very glad to have um, one person on our show that I've been following for years and that I deeply admire. Brian Cook from Russian Circles and many, many other bands is with us today. Brian, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So where are we catching you right now? Uh, I'm currently at home in Seattle, Washington. Okay, Seahawks County. Uh, I, I wish I could share more Seahawks uh, conversation, but I am... Nah, 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 nah. No, no problem. Um, one, one thing that I have to ask first, before, because I noticed that when doing some research on you and your bands, I noticed that there is, you had like Sumac and other bands with one letter and Russian circles with two. Um, these arms are snakes with four, but you don't have a free word band. That is like a hole in your discography. Well, actually, as of last year, that's not true because I put out a record under the name Torment and Glory uh, last August. So I, I just, I, you know, I filled that gap. And, you know, to even, to even hammer the point home, every song title on that album has three words in the title. So. Funny because it's, I didn't see it on, on, on Discogs. So I got a, I got a hole to fill. My goodness, I love that already. Um, Brian, Gnosis will be out soon. Um, how are the reactions to the record thus far? Uh, it seems like people are pretty stoked. You know, it's, this is our eighth record, I think. Eight. Eight. eight full length, not counting the Life at Dunk Fest. Okay, yeah, so our eighth studio album. And, you know, like, at this point, you, know, you put out a new record and people tend to be like, oh yeah, it's good. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, we did one. Or, yeah, I mean, if people don't like it, then they're at least polite enough not to like tell me my face. But uh, this one's been kind of cool because it just seems like the, the friends and uh, people we work with that we've shared it with uh, have kind of gone from, oh yeah, it's cool, to like, oh, okay, this is, this is like this is really exciting. So that's been really nice. I think um, you know we've shared a couple songs online, and I think uh, the people that tend to gravitate towards the heavier part of our sound have been pretty excited because they're sort of louder and more aggressive songs. Um, I'm not sure how the people who gravitate to us because of the sort of dynamic cinematic quality feel about it um because they're definitely pretty aggressive you know high gear the whole way kind of songs but yeah that's that's also something that i notice it's pretty straightforward in certain moments which i like a lot um but let me guess, you know, I mean, I, I figure that the record was written during the pandemic, right? It was, yeah. So did that in a way change your songwriting process? Uh, yeah, in a pretty significant way. Um, you know, it's funny because we've always been, or I shouldn't say we've always been, but ever since I joined the band, you know, we've never all lived in the same city. So there's always been a lot of remote writing. So Mike and Dave you know, are, are kind of like the songwriting core, or at least, you know, the 
the two people that kind of get the the bulk of the song sort of fleshed out before before I get involved. So it, it hasn't been a major obstacle, but Mike moved to California uh, from Chicago back in 2016. So it's, you know, once he did that, then it was kind of like, we really sort of needed to figure out a new way to, to write because Mike and Dave couldn't meet up for regular practices and things like that. So with Blood Year, it was a little tricky. There was a lot of cramming, you know, a lot of like, stockpiling, long fragments and riffs and ideas, and then, you know, getting together for very concentrated chunks of time and trying to build songs out of these chunks of material. But with this one, you know, we we were we were just about to go to Europe to go on tour to support Blood Year when uh, we canceled the tour just because Lots of shows are getting canceled, and countries are shutting down, and all that. So, kind of immediately decided that we would go back into writing mode, even though we had just put out a new record. And we were kind of thinking we'd put like a. We actually, the original idea was that we put out a record that was really mellow, um, because we just figured, well, we probably won't tour on it if we do like sort of a weird one-off. Mm-hmm. EP or something, um, we can just focus on doing like a studio studio album, you know, with all the beer candy and that kind of stuff. But within a few weeks, we kind of shifted gears and figured, you know, let's just make whatever kind of record we want to make. Mm-hmm. And then as things progressed, uh, you know, we got a lot better at recording at home. We kind of finally came up with a system where, you know, we were using Logic to share files and Dave got an electronic drum kit that he could work on at home and that, you know, he could plug directly into his computer and get a great drum sound naturally instead of having to, like, set up a bunch of microphones at the studio, you know, rehearsal space and all that. So we just, we figured out a really good system and it just turned out to be way easier and, you know, people were sort of able to, like, draft whole songs and submit whole songs to the band and, you know, we were all getting kind of savvy at home recording so we could chop up songs in Logic and rearrange them that way and send over, you know, instead of having to talk a bandmate into trying out a new idea and having them re-record something, it's just like, mock up an idea and send it to your bandmate. And, you know, it, it totally changed things and uh, it was probably a change that we should have done six or seven years ago, but... <laughs> better late than ever and, uh, true so the way that you say it it's that Mike and Dave churn out the bulk of the material but did you also come up with song ideas and strong song structures for the record I'm sure yeah I mean every record there's usually something that's you know I've brought to the table um, you know there's something like like uh, Asa off of Guidance, or you know, the first chunk of Overboard off of Guidance, uh, Ghost on High off of Blood Year. So a lot of times it's just like really mellow stuff that, uh, you know, or just like little home recording experiments. I kind of leave like the heavy riffing stuff to, uh, to Mike to come up with, just because that's always sort of been the nature of the band. You know, that's the way it was before I joined up, and 
don't want to fuck with the formula too much. But uh, on this album, it changed a little bit just because I think we just had so much downtime. There was so much ambiguity about how things were going to pan out, both with the record and the future of touring. It just kind of became a thing where it's like, let's just throw out all our ideas and see what sticks and what works. So, so can you pinpoint which song on, on Gnosis is based on your ideas? Yeah, like all of the, uh, I mean, Tupac Lock is all, is all written, you know, around. <laughs> like, it's actually two, two separate songs that uh, I submitted and then kind of got like, yeah, it got rearranged and turned into, into one song. So. It's funny, that was actually the, the one song on the record where I was pretty sure that was written by you because the bass in that song has such a a very good and prominent position without overpowering the others, but that was very that was for me like if I had to if you had asked me if I could guess and I would have said Tupilak. Um but did you talk about anything like boundaries or topics or soundscapes or anything before you started writing for free of you or was it basically all systems go? Uh, you know, there's always a little bit of a talk about what we want to set out to do. And then usually that gets kind of thrown out. You know, <laughs> not unusual to go into a record saying like, oh, this one's going to be all heavy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, half of the record is really mellow and clean mm. guitar. And, yeah. You know, or conversely, like when we, I remember when we did Empros, we thought, wow, this record's, you know, kind of coming together as a really mellow, introspective record. Because, you know, the first few things we wrote were, uh, you know, like Skipple and, uh, you know, the early incarnations of Melodic were a little more mellow. And, But then you know, next thing you know, it's like, oh, like this record starts off at three oh nine, which is pretty much just like a gnarly you know, black metal song. So it's they always kind of go somewhere different. You know, but this album was kind of the same thing. Where you know, when we first started talking about writing, it was like, well, let's do something really mellow. Let's do something really collaborative. We can like get our friends to play on it, and we can make it this like sort of communal record. And then it went up. The total opposite way, where it was like, let's just write a bunch of really mean, angry songs, and let's just make it just all us, no guests, you know, just keep it mean and mean, and that would happen. Do you think that the pandemic, in a way, influenced that towards the aggressiveness? I think maybe a little bit, you know, I think. A lot of it's just a reaction against things we've done in the past. You know, um, I think uh, I think Memorial Guidance and Blood Year all had sort of a similar um, kind of narrative arc between the material, where it's you know, they all kind of dark, quiet, you know, kind of built like a really dark, abrasive song, and then kind of like go into like a more, you know, uh, adventurous kind of exploratory, you know, territory. And then, you know, it winds up getting heavier on side B. And, you know, so I think 
we were really trying to get away from that sort of, uh, I don't know, that sort of landscape to the album. Mm-hmm. It's just never been deliberate. That's just kind of like always seems to be the way things wind up. It's, it's, you know, we try to pace our records in a way that's sort of interesting with peaks and valleys, but um, this time around, it's like, let's not have all the peaks and valleys. Let's just lean into, lean into the heavier, aggressive style. I don't know if that's so much. I don't know if the pandemic do a lot of that. You know, I think it, a lot of it has to do with just what we've been listening to um, musically. And then, uh, uh, for Mike and I, I can't, I can't speak quite much for Dave, but I know uh, just from conversations I've had with Mike that we both kind of went into the pandemic just really kind of obsessed with metal. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're, you know, we're all, we all love metal. Metal's always been a big part of what we do, but, you know, I think more so it was just, I had sort of a insatiable appetite for a lot of sort of the new, old-school death metal stuff that was coming out. I know Mike was just going down a Pantera rabbit hole. Yeah, I think it's, it just sort of, the listening habits sort of directed the music that we wrote in a lot of ways. Maybe the listening habits were a result of the pandemic. I don't know. But, yeah. How did you react when you heard Mike's and Dave's songs? And do you know anything about how we, they reacted, for example, your idea for Tupilac? Um, I mean, usually when Mike sent an idea, he would send... Um, like Mike sends out very well recorded, very thought out, very meticulously recorded demos. Uh, it's kind of kind of amazing. It's just like, man, this is like a finished song. All this attention and tone, and so like when you hear one of Mike's demos, you're just like, oh, okay, I know, I know exactly what you're going for. And he usually sends two versions. I'll send a version that has uh, a program programmed drum track underneath it and then one without um, because Dave doesn't like having a drum track to feel like it uh, you know kind of uh, potentially interrupts like, whatever he could potentially come up with you know it's, um, he doesn't want to have like a fresh idea interrupted by an existing sort of drum track For me, I love it because it's just, it sort of gives me an idea of what Mike's going for. So, um, yeah, usually when Mike's coming out, it's just like, okay, I got it. I know, I know what you're going for. And, uh, it was really fun and, and easy to write along to. I think the tougher songs, um, that Mike would send out would be something like Bloom, um, you know, which is more in sort of the post-rock vein. Um, and I think it's a lot of those things I think we're really trying to steer away from it's sort of become a more traditional post-rock sound. Like, just out of our own sort of personal mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, that was one that was a little tricky to find um, the right thing to fit in with it, but, but felt 
pressure new to us without uh, also feeling like we were trying too hard to reinvent the wheel. Um, Dave, uh, Dave doesn't uh, initiate the songwriting process, so um, it's not like he sends us drum beats and says, hey, write something in this. Although, uh, every once in a while, you know, he'll play a drum beat just you know, off the cuff and it's like, ooh, let me record that so I can I can write along with it. But there wasn't mm-hmm. any of that for this record. As far as uh, the stuff I was sending to Mike and Dave, I think it was sort of the opposite of Mike, where I don't want to overwork something and then have someone be like, ah, I'm not into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, like, you don't want to put in, like, a week of work and then somebody, after five minutes, that's like, nah. Yeah, yeah. So I just send out, like, this, the shittiest, bare-bones demo with, like, a ton of disclaimers, like, oh, fuck up with this part, and, uh, yeah, imagine this part actually sounds good, you know. You know <laughs> two very different demoing styles. Um, but, you know, they're, you know, they're both, both Mike and Dave are very encouraging. And I think they're both pretty, pretty good at, uh, at hearing what I'm trying to put, put forward to them. So they're, they're good sports in that capacity. So I, I guess... Or I, I figure, you know, with this kind of writing process, that there are also songs that you didn't develop for the album, right? So are there any leftover songs? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because originally, um, originally it was going to be a double album. Ooh. Or, or at least it was going to be like a three-sided album. It was too long for a single LP. So we had another three tracks. Uh, Three, yeah, three tracks written for the album, and uh, we submitted it to Sergeant House, and they <laughs> they were like, uh, "Are you kidding? Uh, no, there's like a major backlog in vinyl production. <laughs> yeah, yeah, part of getting your record out anytime in the next year means we had to reserve, you know, a certain amount of production time. If you put it out a double album, then." You can only press half as many copies. So mm. you either press half as many copies or you make it a single album. And, uh, so we made it a single album, which was actually a pretty easy call to make because the, there was a lot of material. The three songs that we cut, I think we were all very uh, emotionally connected to, but I think it made the record more cohesive. And um, one of the songs, uh, there's, there's a song called Borehole that was actually going to be the first song on the album uh, instead of Super Lap. And, uh, that was another one that I had written. And after we recorded it, we all kind of like looked at each other and like, ah, the demo is better. <laughs> so I think we're just going to re-record that one and uh, see if we can kind of bring back some of the magic from the demo. You know, along with the other two songs, maybe put out an EP or maybe save them to the next record. Not really sure, but yeah, there was there was some extra stuff for sure. So you've already mentioned, you know, there was that one point when Russian Circles was basically a duo, and then you joined. How did you feel at that point, like years back, when Mike and Dave asked you to join Russian Circles? I don't remember it. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. 
yeah, it's funny because the the arrangement was, you know, um, they were scheduled to record station with Pat Malins in Seattle. Uh, you know, they parted ways with Colin. I think I don't know if the recording has already been set or not, but they basically you know, parted ways with Colin and then wrote most of the record. Um, and then they were either going to have uh, Rob Lowe, uh, who uh, the 90 Day Man, like um, he's did the Andy Manson track. We were talking about if he had a new play because he played a little bit on the first record. Um, but, you know, I already lived in Seattle. I'd done a bunch of shows. Um, Russian football playing in the United States. Uh, I'd done some filming work for other bands, you know, he was a bass player, so it just made more sense for me to fill in. So I did. He did a tour not too long after that without me. My friend Remus, I think, they kind of decided that uh, they were going to tour. You know, at least on that record, they wanted me to do it. So we did a few tours and then. I don't remember it, but apparently one night they waited until I was really drunk and they asked if I wanted to officially join. And I said yes. And I have no recollection of it. They, they waited until but, I was vulnerable. <laughs> but you had known them before, right? Because you and V's Arms Are Snakes had already put out a split with them, right? Uh, no, the split didn't happen until I was playing with Russian Circles. I play on the I think that's so. It's basically that that split is basically a Brian Cook showcase. Oh, totally. yeah, exactly. Of course, it should just have my name on it. Nothing else. Yeah, um, I think we should redo that. Yeah. I'll open Sergeant House and make them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's an overlap because I didn't have any intention of leaving Snakes at the time, and I didn't want to be in a band based out of Chicago. I think it's just one of those things. It's like it's fun to help out some friends. You know, I I already liked their band. I liked their band since they first demo. We had a bunch of shared friends from Chicago. So they, they've been on my radar from the get go. Um, but yeah, it was just I think it was one of those things when we could start playing together. It was like, oh, this is this is like a really awesome, healthy, creative dynamic between the three of us. So, I think at that point, you know, these are snakes were kind of struggling to get by and to kind of think the dysfunction of one sort of highlighted the functionality of the other. Just the way it worked out. So let's dive a little bit more into Gnosis, um, because when listening to it and also, of course, looking at your always very telling song titles, um, I first of all want to know when you what what comes first the song the song title the riff whatever or do you do you put the song titles on it afterwards? Uh, it sort of depends. A lot of times it's just placeholders, and then um, you know as we start working on songs, you know, start heading into the studio things like that. We kind of have that moment where it's like, all right, is this song really going to be called? Betrayal, or <laughs> are we going to change that? And, you know, 
but then there has to be like a little bit of a debate as to what stays and what gets changed. And, you know, there there are sometimes there are definite meanings attached to the song titles in relation to the actual music. Sometimes it's just kind of random. You know, the trail is very random. That was like a placeholder name. Kind of stuff. And, uh, in my mind, it's like an homage to uh, Minor Threat's portray. It's like, oh, you know, that was a great song. Oh, Minor Threat. <laughs> this is our version of a, of a really angry uh, hardcore song. Yeah, that's true. That, that is one of, I we must be clear, that is one of the, the hardest and heaviest stuff that Russian Circles has ever done. Which is very cool, I think. It's a great song. And uh, we'll also come to the trio at the end of a record where Betrayal is in the middle. Let's ask this way. Is this in any way a religious record because of gnosis? I mean, like, originally only meaning knowledge. I know that. But it also very often is used in religious contexts. And Tupilak, which is, if I remember correctly, the word for an Icelandic ritual creature that is used to what is it um scare or ruin or hurt however you want to say it uh your enemies right yeah my understanding of the block and, and i could have this wrong but I, I believe um it's almost sort of like a like a talisman that becomes an embodiment for bad yeah. uh bad yeah. So you, you take a, a bit of animal bone and you sort of carve these creatures into it. Okay. Negativity. So, is there any kind of religious background to the record? Because of you know gnosis and tupilac basically being being also even connected by a conduit. Yeah. You know, honestly. Uh, I think for us, the, the, for, for me, I think trying to go into making a record um, with a very clear vision of, uh, of intent and making an artistic statement is awesome uh, and I'm really bad at it. <laughs> and in the history of groups that I've worked with, uh, it's very difficult to craft sort of a large scale piece like an album with a sort of pre-existing outline or vision of what it's going to be as a statement. Instead, I've always kind of liked just going off of a gut feeling, and, like, this material works, this material doesn't work, and then slowly shape together a song and figure out pairings of songs eventually you wind up with this thing and things like song titles you know you gravitate towards certain words towards certain implications in words um, without necessarily thinking this is about x y or z it's just you know, yeah. for whatever reason like you know when i was writing two block i was also reading books on, you know, the Greenland of people, and for whatever reason, like, reading about the people off is, I was like, I'm listening to my pretty interesting, you know, like, the, 
very simple uh, and I don't want to use the word primitive because that's kind of simple but the, the, the way the Greenlander people's lifestyle is so attached to the earth and so respectful of it and still results in this sort of manifestation of like, bad feelings you know, and how they're still like an artistic outlet for that feeling I think that resonated with me as I was writing Superlock, which in, in my mind is sort of a song where that's trying to grapple between like really dark feelings and like any sort of hope of optimism. Mm-hmm. You know? So there isn't some sort of grand uh, meaning behind it, but you know, the words in the song title seem to make sense in conjunction with the song and put them together. It's one of those things where I think like a lot of records I've made on the past, my hope is that a year or two down the line, I can reflect on it and be like, oh, I don't know if this is necessarily what we were consciously trying to say with this record, but like subconsciously, mm-hmm. I think yeah. like it kind of winds up saying this, you know, like a, like an example would be like with We Are the Roman by Botch, you know, it was like, we Are the Romans is literally just something that was thrown out by Dave Rowland when we are jamming on the last song of the record during the demo process. Like, he didn't have anything written. There's no written lyrics. It's just something that came out of his mouth. And then, you know, Dave Knudsen just did his artwork for the album. The New York City skyline with targets all over it. And there's no meaning behind it. It's just something that subconsciously felt right. You know, like, Two years after the record came out, you had 9-11, where, you know, the New York skyline was targeted, and, you know, because some aspect of, like, you know, that was a blow against the American empire, you know, where it's like, obviously, none of this was, like, premeditated, and 9-11 was still something in the future that we didn't know about, but, like, you kind of look at something like that as being like, oh, like, even back then, subconscious level you kind of knew where in the world we're going you know that kind of uh, afterthought or you know hindsight in an album I think is for me kind of more interesting and I think mm-hmm. a lot of the same thing mm-hmm. a lot of things are very loaded with loaded words um, what it actually means I think is sort of deliberately left open to interpretation but Something that even for us, I think, uh, is sort of hidden from our conscious mind right now. Well, maybe make more sense for long. What I always like about the records that you put out, and especially the song titles, is that they make people dig into other cultures. You know, on this record, you have songs with, I, I tried to figure it out, Greek, Czech, Greenlandish and Irish roots, at least the song titles. Oh, yeah. yeah. So four out of seven. Um, I guess that also reflects the, the the striving of a free of you to get to know other cultures, eh? I think so. And I think, you know, I think a big unintentional part of this band, you know, being instrumental is that we kind of realized that um, once you get rid of the boundary of lyrics that it 
it crosses cultural lines a lot easier. So, you know, we, we sort of learned quickly that um, there's an international audience that I don't think is necessarily available to a lot of other bands that are our size in the United States. And, you know, I mean, we've tried to embrace that. You know, I think we're, you know, we're always excited to travel to new places. Um, you know, we're, you know, I think we're still in a little bit of awe and we get to go to as many places as we do. And, uh, you know, we try to, you know, actually create bonds with the people that we work with when we, when we travel. So. You know, a lot of times it's our way of sort of paying respect to people that have helped us out, sort of acknowledging that, you know, they've helped provide an experience for us that's meaningful that So for everybody out there in Greenland listening to this, <laughs> they'd love to come to your country. Oh my god, I would love to play in Greenland. I'd love to play in Iceland. Greenland would probably be a lot tougher, but man, if the opportunity ever arose, I would pounce on I figure you would. So you recorded Gnosis with Kurt Ballou again at God City. Did you make any changes regarding the recording process between this one and I think it was the last one that you also produced, right? So yeah, it's actually over the last couple. Yeah, so Kurt's recorded. Let's see, he did, he did Blood Year, he did Guidance. Yeah, so he's done the last three. Um, and we kind of replicated the process we used on Blood Year. We tracked everything at uh, Electrical Audio in Chicago. And then we did guitar overdubs and synth overdubs and small tweaks and things at Kurt Studio at uh, City Sale. But the idea is being that. Electrical audio, I think. That's I just love that studio. Dave's hometown. We're friends with people that work there. It's just an amazing studio. You can just set up a drum kit, throw some mics on it, and get like, the best drum sounds ever. Um, Every, everybody says that about electrical audio. That's just so amazing, the thing that Albini did there. Or yeah. built there. It's just, it's, it just saves. I mean, it really just saves so much time. You're not trying to dial anything in. It's just like, yeah, that's what the drums sound like. You have your drum sound like just in their natural state. Like, well, there you go. And you know, um, we've kind of done records in a variety of ways. You know, we've kind of like pieced songs together through editing things like that in the past, but what we really kind of like to do, if possible, is just track it live with uh, the whole band playing so we get a good drum take. And hopefully there's a good bass take to go with it, but I have always put that bass. And, you know, the way Mike stuff usually works out with loops and all that, he kind of has to go back and, and hand redo all the looping stuff. Uh, separately, but you can at least sort of get the live feel out of the rhythm mm -hmm. section. Or get some, a few, you know, scratch guitar tracks that that's sort of ideal. And then Kurt is just, you know, 
mean, no one, no one captures electric guitars like her. You know, like you can talk about sure. electrical audio, and drum sounds, but like the inverse is the other side of the coin. Is like her is a guitar So be able to go back to God City and have him kind of have his full, you know, arsenal. Amps and pedals and you know, a One track that also, to me at least, stands out on the new record is this. The only word that I found for it was a lament. You know, it sounds very much like an old world lament and i'm very sure that i'm gonna mispronounce it but it's o'brennan or whatever <laughs> i i mean i even learned modern gaelic at a point like 20 years back but i still fuck it up all the time um who who came up with with the idea for for that song or or how did that song piece itself together um mike wrote that and that was you know I think that he just sort of pitched towards the end of the writing process. Um, it's an homage in some ways to a movie, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but Piano, uh, Pianist, I can't remember. Piano. The Pianist, probably, with Adrian, Adrian Brody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then I'm not that wrong with Klesmer. The guy is Jewish. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, there's a scene where uh, a soldier orders him to play something, and he yeah, yeah, yeah. plays something, and Mike was like, "What would happen if I was in that scenario?" And someone was like, "Playing music right now, having goosebumps thinking about it." Yeah, like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna like play like rip the station on my acoustic guitar? You know, and he's like, I, he's like, I feel like I need to have. A song that's just like me and no one else that tells a story, naked and not going on. Love it, do it. And I think it's, it's, it's like a, a nice breather in the album. It's such a heavy record. And then you have this one very mournful solo guitar piece in the middle of it. You know, yeah. Yeah. And on the other hand, I also think it works very nicely as. Uh, it's not an intro to betrayal. I know that, but you know, betrayal sits in the middle between those two more mellow, more melancholic pieces. So that's also very interesting. You know, like you have O'Brainine. I looked it up just right now. So O'Brainine, and and then you have betrayal, which is like woo, muscular to the max, and then you have Bloom again. Yeah. How long did you think about that track listing, or did that come totally naturally to you? There was, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of debate. It's not like I was mentioning earlier. I think the bigger debate was when, um, you know, we had three additional songs. We were trying to figure out how, how they sort of fit into the bigger thing. Once we took those out of the equation, uh, it was pretty self-evident. You know, um, Blue, to me, is like a re is the real outlier of the record because even though O'Brien's and this very quiet, mellow, pensive piece. Uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's it still feels 
in keeping with the downtrodden theme of the album. Yes, Bloom is kind of like the one sort of like hint of optimism on the record. You know? That's true. And so for me, I think it's kind of the arc of the record is, you know, pretty turbulent for all of side A. And then, you know, it just gets darker and more oppressive last meal. The breather of over and then it just gets its lowest, darkest moment of betrayal. And then Bloom is just sort of like, yeah, through like the flower and the field of refuge that's coming out. Offers it some sort of promise. So, so you have a reputation of being a, a very, very good life band, which I can totally. Uh, how do I, how do you say? Which I can totally agree with because you are a very very good live band. Um, do you, do you have any idea which of the songs might be on the next tour's playlist already? I think so. I'm not gonna spoil it, but I mean, <laughs> I'm part of the Borrow. <laughs> I wish. Uh, you know, I think part of the. One of the exciting things about this record is that you know you could, you could pretty much play anything off this album. That's uh, true. You know, in the past, uh, you know, Geneva sort of we, we've talked about it a lot, but uh, you know, Geneva we sort of painted ourselves into a corner where we made a record we were all really proud of, and then we tried to play it live. We weren't too ambitious in the studio, and now everything feels like. Uh, Underwhelming, facsimile, studio version. Um, you know, with, with this record, I think we could be pretty faithful in the recreation of all of it. Um, but I don't know. It remains to be seen, but we're excited to play these songs live. And for everybody who's asking him or herself, or themselves, um, right now, uh, you are on tour in Europe next year with Cult of Luna. One of the most amazing packages I've ever heard. How excited are you about that? Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I, I have... In a lot of ways, I don't think I have the frame of reference that a lot, a lot of people do, because I haven't seen Cult of Luna live since, like, 2007. <laughs> so, I think, like, they're massive. Are they? Okay, I saw them in Barcelona and there were, you know, 75 people there. And it's great, but, you know, 75 people, so... Um, you know, I like, I like those dudes that I've met. Um, I mean, I met them again back in 2007. I stayed in contact with Magnus, because Magnus has mastered a few of our records. And, uh, them outside of that. Outside of where we've been in Europe years past. Uh, yeah, and I'm just excited to go to Europe in another capacity that's not, you know, it doesn't feel like we have to carry the full weight of the package, you know, it's kind of, I'm excited to play and then get off stage and have another man play. <laughs> you know, it's not, uh, hurry and wrap all your cables and get the fuck out, it's like, you can, like, hang out and have a beer and, you know, <laughs> have my friends watch Luna. Yeah, that, that all sounds very appealing. 
So if you could curate a one-day five-band festival with any of your bands headlining and four other bands, do you have any idea whom you would pick to play from your own discography and also two or three or maximum four other bands that would play? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, I'd probably pick Russian Circles just because, if nothing else, it's like, we're going to headline. I would want people to, to be there. And, you know, I don't think Torment and Glory is going to pull in a lot of people. I'm sure, I'm sure people would show up for Sumac, but uh, I still always feel a little nervous when Sumac is on the show. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It probably, I probably wind up picking a bunch of friends' bands. Like, I probably ask J. Dale, I probably ask Lee, I probably ask Chelsea Wolf, and probably ask Jeff Evan or Emma. You know, I mean, I realize it sounds kind of like I'm just spewing off the guitar and how No, 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 you, you ain't. And then uh, I'm very sure of it a lot of people would would uh, love to see that show and would also fly to that show. So uh, we, of course, always end our interviews with our infamous quickfire questions. You get two alternatives, have to choose one of them and maybe give a short explanation. Okay. Let's, let's start off with something easy. <clears throat> In your free time, rather do some binge watching on the couch or work out? Ooh. I mean, I literally just worked out before this interview, so there you go. That is the answer. Um, let's get a little bit more creative. Pelican or Mogwai? Uh oh. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I'm friends with the Pelican guys, but honestly, I've never seen Mogwai play live. So. You have to, you have to kick that off your bucket list. One of yeah, my all-time favorite. Yeah. Now a tricky one because I know it's gonna put you in a bad corner, whichever you choose. But Hydra Head or Sergeant House? Well, I'll go Sergeant House because Hydra Head's not even around anymore. What that? New York City or Los Angeles for a living? Oh, oh New York. I mean, I used to live in New York. So, you know, I love, I love the climate of LA. I love the abundance of outdoor stuff. But in terms of actually like hanging out and enjoying the city for what it is, it's gotta be New York. Okay, then I'll make it easy with the next question. For vacation, for your next vacation, the mountains or the seaside? Seaside. Love touring that. yeah yeah I, I, touring or writing and recording uh man it used to be touring but now it's writing and recording mm. I'm getting old. you're not getting old halfway to 90 so you're like a year older than me i'm 78 Oh yeah, I'm 77. Yeah. When listening to music, which way do you prefer, analog or digital? Analog. I like vinyl. 
And the last one. Dillinger escape plan or converge? Converge. Ooh, that was a quick one. I thought that would be the tricky one. Uh, Brian, you, know, you, you go ahead. No offense to Dillinger. You know, I, I, you know, I was very close to Dillinger in the, the early incarnations and lineups, but, you know, at this point, I know all the guys in Converge. I don't know all the guys. Yeah, with all the lineup changes in Dillinger, especially behind the drum kit, that's also a difficult question. <laughs> so, Brian, thanks for being on the show. Everybody Gnosis is coming out, if I remember correctly, August 19th, an amazing album. Um, and it's very correct that all of Brian's friends say, oh, yeah, this is, this is something different. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.